So please have your, your Bibles open or your devices open. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, we're going through the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, we've slowed down as we are on these three uh, very important chapters, 12, 13, and 14, which are talking about spiritual gifts. Uh, we've started looking at the actual spiritual gifts as they are listed here in verses 8 to 10. We've covered uh, the first five of these, and we're looking at these gifts now primarily through the lens of the foundation principles. And so each week, I'm going to be just quickly going over these foundational principles so that they're fresh in our minds, and so that if people are here for the first time or have missed a couple, they'll be able to follow it through, because these principles are just so important for us getting it right. Paul said to the Corinthians, he did not want them to be uninformed. He wanted them to know about spiritual gifts. And, and then the first principle, the first underlining principle is this, that the spiritual gifts matter in the life of the church. They're important to the church. He doesn't want them to be uninformed, and it's in God's word that we have now, and it's because God doesn't want us to be un uninformed. And he doesn't want us to be uninformed because, tragically, some alleged spiritual gifts can be faked. And there's problems with that in the church in Corinth. And over the last 2,000 years, throughout Christianity, there's been that challenge and that problem about spiritual gifts, which should be such a blessing to the church, being faked or being abused or being used unrighteously. You see, spiritual gifts will declare Christ as Lord they're not for someone's own benefit. They're not for someone's own aggrandizement. They are for declaring that Christ is Lord. And they're linked with salvation. Salvation and spiritual gifts are linked. Salvation itself is a gift. It's a gift from God. Where the faith that we have to be able to believe, as we saw last week, is a gift from God. And salvation is coming to know Jesus as Lord. We come into this life and our default is, I am the most important. Our default is, we are Lord of our own life. We are master of our own destiny. And we want to do things our way, in our time. And we don't care about the rest. But when we are saved, we come to the point of realizing that the Almighty God is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and Jesus is Lord. And we bow at Jesus' feet, and we ask for forgiveness of our sins and our rebellion, and we are forgiven because Christ paid the price of the sins of his people at the cross of Calvary. And the moment that happens in our life, the moment we come to know Jesus as our personal Savior, the moment we come to know that Christ died for our sins, the moment that becomes real to us, the moment the Holy Spirit enlightens us and enlivens us, at that moment we receive the Holy Spirit. So every single one of you here who's trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And, and spiritual gifts, as we saw, and it surprised some of us, and not just from the Holy Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit work together in unity, in that triunity, in, in giving us these gifts. God the Father planned it. 
Jesus is the means and, and the way that we can receive the Holy Spirit by having our sins forgiven. And the Holy Spirit comes in and the Holy Spirit gives, but they are ordained and it's all part of the Godhead and the full Trinity are involved. And the spiritual gifts are not for your or my personal benefit primarily. We are blessed by them for sure. But that's not what they're about. The, the, the spiritual gifts are for the benefit of the church. It is Christ's church and for the benefit of the whole church. And the spiritual gifts we have lift, listed here in this chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians is, is not the complete list. There are others that we can see elsewhere. And then we saw, and very importantly saw, that spiritual gifts are not chosen, spiritual gifts are not learned, spiritual gifts are exactly that, they are a gift and they're given by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has decided what gift or gifts you should have as a believer. The Holy Spirit knows what gifts you should have and what gifts you need for the benefit of Christ church. And so it's not for us to say, this is what I'm going to do, this is what I'm going to have. It is chosen for us. Now all these principles are, are very, very clear from God's Word. And, and we're thankful for that. We're thankful for the, the clarity that is there. And, and we agree on that. But there can be some challenges. And one of the big challenges that we have there is some of these gifts are extraordinary. And we thought of the extraordinary nature of the miracle of healing. Someone who was lame, getting up and walking and leaping and praising God. And, and that's extraordinary. And, and prophecy can be extraordinary. And some of it is just much more ordinary. And so there's ordinary and there's extraordinary. And we give God the glory in both of those. And we see his hand in both of them. And they're all gifts. And then some people say that some of the gifts are no longer current. They're not for us now. They ceased. And they're called cessationists. And there are others who believe that all the gifts continue. And they're known as continuists. Now that can be a challenge. That can divide people. And we don't want to be divided as a church. And so at the moment, as we go through these gifts, we are just looking at them in the context of Corinthians, the 1 Corinthians, and what we can emphatically say, that all of those gifts were relevant to that church there at that moment in time, because God spoke them to that church through the power of the Holy Spirit using the Apostle Paul. Utterances of wisdom. Utterances of knowledge. And the book of Corinthians is full of this. It's full of utterances of wisdom and utterance of knowledge. God's word being given. Knowledge. And the application of God's word and God's knowledge in wisdom. And the apostle Paul is, is a master of doing that. That gift was clearly one of his gifts. And then we thought the gift of faith. Faith that moves mountains. Faith that's beyond salvation. We all have saving faith and we thank God for it. We should all have an element of faith in our Christian walk, which we thank God for. Ordinary faith, if you like. But, but some of God's people have been blessed with extraordinary faith. Gifts of healing. 
gospel. We saw the emphasis on how the wording was put together. It's gifts of healing. It's not a, a healing gift. It's not a healing ministry. It, it's not something that you can turn on and turn off. All these things work under the authority of the sovereign God who is in control of all. And then fifthly, we've seen working of miracles. Miracles, amazing supernatural things that couldn't be done normally. And God works in power and might and does these things. And as these things have been going through, been realizing for the Corinthians, they were just the means with which God was blessing the church with the gift. The gift didn't make them special. The gift didn't give them something. The gift was, they were the conduit. They were the means by which that gift was used for the blessing of the church. Spiritual gifts never outrank God's sovereignty. God is in control. It is Christ's church. And, and now we, we move on after we looked at these first five utterances of wisdom, utterance of knowledge, faith, gifts of healing, working of miracle. And now we move on to our sixth one, and, and six, seven, and eight. And in, in some ways, these gifts that we're about to look at can be the most misunderstood and the most abused. And I was trying to think to myself, why is it that, 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 that prophecy and tongues and these ones are the ones that often are so misunderstood and so abused and I think and saying it frankly is a miracle is very hard to fake some people try and have tried and we see we see and hear of miracles in God's word and I'm sure possibly in your own lives you've heard of things that are miraculous but a miracle is hard to fake. When it comes to prophecy and it comes to tongues, tragically, and this is really addressing the situation here at Corinth, these things could be faked. Now that doesn't make prophecy and tongues wrong. Yes? I'm not saying that. I want to say this very, very clearly. But what I am saying emphatically is that prophecy and tongues can be faked. And that can cause the church and God's people huge problems. So with that in mind, we're looking at prophecy. It's the sixth one in this list. Uh, we see it in verse 10, and it just works in the same wording as the others to another prophecy. So prophecy isn't for all the Corinthians. It's not for all of God's people. Back in that day, prophecy was one of the gifts, and it was for some people. Not everyone is a prophet. Now, when we think of prophecy, when you think of the word prophecy, what is it that immediately comes to your mind? What do, what do you start thinking about? And, and so often, what we think about immediately is making a prediction for the future. And you may have heard some of these prophecies and predictions of the future. Like my one earlier. Tomorrow the sun will be shining in Cyprus and it'll be hot. That is a prediction of the future. It's not particularly prophetic. It's just using common sense. Uh, Google, as Lemuel was telling me, you can look on, on the internet and see it. But, but this is often what we think of 
with regard to prophecy. So I'm just hoping that something's going to work here. So that's what we think of as prophecy. But the reality is, what we need to see and what we need to understand is what Paul meant by that word. If you go to the Oxford Dictionary, when you go to the Oxford Dictionary, the Oxford Dictionary tells us what prophecy is, and this is where we get this idea from. Prophecy is telling what the future is. And, and, and there's so much more to prophecy than that. All meaning by prophecy when he came to this. What was... Paul wanting the Corinthians to understand. And, and we, we need to get this because this is so important, yeah? It is so, so important to us because we think of prophecy as predicting the future, yes? But when they heard it, what did they hear? When he was talking about to some prophecy, what were they thinking? And what we have to remember is this word prophecy here came to the Corinthians, came to the New Testament church from the Old Testament. It was a principle and a concept that they understood from the Old Testament. And so what we need to know and we need to understand and we need to get our minds around is what the, the Old uh, uh, Testament to is talking about when it comes to prophecy. There's a phrase that travels throughout the Old Testament, and it's this Thus says the Lord. 417 times this word is recorded in the Old Testament. And, and, and this is saying what prophecy is, is God speaking. Prophecy in the Old Testament is God speaking. Now sometimes when God spoke in the Old Testament, it was to tell of the future. But so often when God spoke in the Old Testament through the prophets, it was to talk into that situation right then. It was to challenge them with regard to their sins and to challenge them to regard to their shortcomings and to challenge them to regard to, to where they were at. It wasn't just predicting the future. It's more important. The underlining emphasis is that it was God speaking to his people. And the reason we know that the Old Testament prophecy is exactly what the New Testament church was thinking of is because on the day of Pentecost, Paul, uh, Peter says as much. On the day of Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit has come down. They've had the, the, the gift of tongues and people have been hearing them in their own language and the Holy Spirit has worked. And Peter points back. And Peter says in chapter 2 of Acts, in verse 18, in the second part of it, he says, In those days I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. 
And this was coming into being there and then. There and then, at that moment in time, this Old Testament prophecy from Joel chapter 2 in verse 27 foretells the coming of the Holy Spirit. And it's marked by prophecy. And they shall prophesy. And so the New Testament church was understanding prophecy as God speaking to the people through a human agent. Hebrews 1 and verse 1 underlines it again. It says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. The Old Testament prophecy was God speaking to his people. And New Testament prophecy is God speaking to his prophecy. Prophecy in the Old Testament was God's way of speaking to humans. Prophecy in the New Testament was God's way of speaking to humans. Uh, the Lexham a survey of theology puts it like this. Prophecy is a divine gift by which a human being is enabled to speak divinely authoritative words. Prophecy is a divine gift by which a human being is enabled to speak divinely authoritative words, or God's words. And like I said earlier, so often in the Old Testament, the prophets started like this, Thus says the Lord. 47 times in the Old Testament, the prophets thundered out, Thus says the Lord, God is speaking. The prophet is just purely taking God's word and giving it to the people. In the New Testament, we have some examples of prophets. And in Acts, we have this guy called Agabus. And he is recorded to have prophesied by the Spirit. In Acts 11 and 28, it talks about him. And he stood up and he foretold by the Spirit that there will be a great famine over all the world. And then if you flip on to Acts chapter 21, we see this same prophet, Agabus, and in verse 10, he hear him using the words. At the beginning of his prophecy, he says, Thus says the Holy Spirit. Interesting words, isn't it? The Old Testament prophets said, thus says the Lord. And the New Testament prophets were saying, thus says the Holy Spirit. Simply put, prophecy is to speak on God's behalf. Prophecy is speaking on God's behalf. Prophecy is God speaking to human beings through the means and the vessel of a other person. And so the first point that I want us to bring out and underline this morning is a prophet will speak on behalf of God. We read those verses in Deuteronomy chapter 18. And in verse 18 of 18, so 18, 18, you can remember this easily. Moses was talking and, and, and God was saying, I will raise up for them a prophet like you. So although Moses was speaking, God was speaking through Moses. Moses was being prophetic. He was bringing prophecy. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. And what does, what does this mean? And God is saying, I will put my words in his mouth. 
and he shall speak them all that I command him. The prophet speaks on behalf of God. The prophet has the revelation from God and he brings that word to the people. And this is truly terrifying. Think of it like this. It's terrifying for the prophet because the prophet's role is to hear God and to share that message. And I wouldn't want to get that wrong. And for those that are listening, it's for us to hear that message and hear God speaking through the prophet. The prophet is speaking God's words directly on behalf of God. A prophet will speak on behalf of God. And that's what these people have been understanding. That's what the Corinthians have been understanding with this word prophet here. Someone who's speaking on God's behalf. Someone who's bringing God's word to the people. And so, despite whether you think prophecy is a spiritual gift, is a gift that continues or not, that's not the big issue here at the moment. Anyone who claims to be a prophet and has not truly been given a word from God, or is not speaking God's word, is a false prophet. Full stop. Full stop. We need to understand this. Because there are people nowadays coming up saying they are prophets. And we need to assess it. And we need to look at it. Because a true prophet will only speak God's words from God. And if someone comes up and they're not speaking God's word from God, we do not need to fear them, we must not listen to them, and we should thank God that we have his word. But it raises a question, doesn't it? It raises this question, how do we know if a prophet is speaking God's words? Because this is so important, isn't it? A false prophet is someone who is not directly communicating God's message from God to his people or to the world, or to humans in general. So how do we know if a prophet is speaking God's word? We go back to our principles before, and, and they line together. Our second point that we want to see here for this morning is prophets will declare Christ as Lord. That's not new to you, is it? We've already seen that the spiritual gifts are to declare Christ as Lord. And it's a no-brainer that prophecy is no different. A prophet will declare Christ as Lord. We read from Deuteronomy 13. In the Old Testament, we have uh, an indication of this. Deuteronomy 13 and verse 1. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you signs or wonders, and if the, the sign or wonder he tells you comes to pass, so listen, this is someone who's came and they've made a prophecy and it's happened. This is a person who's done a miracle and you've seen it. And you're thinking, wow, this is incredible. This is the, the real thing. We have a real prophet in front of us. He's doing miraculous things. He's saying the future. How could he read into my life like that? And then if he tells you, let us go after other gods. And if he says, let us go after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not Listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer. 
You see, what a prophet says is more important than the signs or the wonders or the prediction. Because devils can do miracles. Godless people can bend minds and predict futures and make you think they're they're doing miraculous things. It's not that that makes the difference. It's not that that tells you whether someone is a prophet or not. It is what they say. The spectacle is not what it's all about. It's the truth that they are speaking. And, and there's been plenty, plenty of false prophets who've done amazing things and, and predicted correctly. But what they say about Christ, what they say about God's word, is all important. A true prophet will never speak outside of God's revealed word. If someone does something amazing, calls fire down from heaven, and says something outside of God's word, he is not a true prophet, or she is not a true prophet, and they're not to be listened to. 2 Peter and chapter 2 and verse 1, it says, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And then Peter goes on to give the reason why they do this. It says, in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Tragically, around the world, there are prophets trying to exploit people out of their own greed. And they're using false words. And they may be doing miraculous things, and you may get tingles down your spine when you hear them talk. And they may have the most amazing music set, and they may have a smoke screen coming up, and people may fall down in front of them as though they're dead. But in their greed, they're exploiting you. And they don't know the truth. And they're not proclaiming the truth. And so how are we? We need discernment. We need discernment of what is God's word. And that's why we keep telling the church to go back to God's word. This is the benchmark. This is what you need. You don't need an experience. You need God's word. And God's word will protect you from all this mumbo and jumbo. There are people out there trying to exploit you. That's one thing. The devil is out there trying to use these people to deceive you. The tragedy is right now, today, around the world, there are thousands of people sat in pews, probably dancing in pews, possibly laid out thinking they're slain in the Holy Spirit, and they don't know Christ. Because the person who says he's a prophet isn't preaching Christ and Christ crucified. He's just wanted to fill his pockets, increase his status, and get a jet. And that is not a prophet. That is a false prophet. You see, a true prophet... A true prophet will declare Christ as Lord. And as you listen to people that say they're speaking in God's name, be that someone who's in person, or be that someone in line, be that someone who's preaching or prophesying or whatever, or even be it me here, 
You need to check out what they're saying against God's word, just like the Bereans did. And we're back here to Acts 17 and verse 11. The Bereans, now these were Jews most more noble than the Thessalonians. They received the word with all eagerness. They heard the prophecy, they heard the word, and they examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were. And friends, that is how we are protected from this false prophets that are out there. And the Bible is what it's all about. The Bible is the test because we know that the Bible is God's word. 1 Timothy 3.16 All scripture is breathed out by God. This is God's word. It's breathed out by God. We're not sure about this man. Let's check it against the scripture. We know this is real. We know this is the full thing. We know this has been given to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Or 1 Peter uh, 1 and 25 The word of the Lord remains forever. This is God speaking about his word. The word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. And again we come back to our chorus of this morning. Despite whether prophecy is a spiritual gift continues or not. It's not the issue. If the person proclaiming to be a prophet is not consistent with God's word, they are not a prophet. They are a false prophet. They are a fake. And that may sound serious, and that may sound harsh, but that's what God's word is saying. And what's right? Who's right? God's word or the fake? And we should not fear them. We must not listen to them. And we should thank God that we have his word by which we can measure these things. And thirdly, we see that prophets will have moral integrity. Prophets will have moral integrity. They will have a standard by which they live because they are God's people, God's chosen agent to bring the message. And in Jeremiah 23 and verse 14, we hear this horrendous situation. The prophets in Jerusalem, I've seen a horrible thing. These people who are declaiming, proclaiming and declaring that they are bringing God's word, They've seen this horrible thing. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They strengthen the hand of evildoers that no one turns from his evil. Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount warns people of false prophets in Matthew 7. Jesus warns people he warns them. He is warning them about false prophets. He is warning us today about false prophets. And they're dangerous. And he says this in verse 20 of Matthew chapter 7. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Or Peter in his second letter puts it like this in chapter 2 and verse 2. And many will follow their sensuality, talking about the false prophets. The false prophets will lead people away into their sin. 
If a prophet is not living according to God's word, if a prophet is not morally upright and living in desiring to live a holy life, then they are a false prophet. Because true prophets, despite being fallen men, will be endeavoring and be enabled by the Holy Spirit to live in moral integrity. It's only the Holy Spirit that enables them to do it because as fallen men and women we fail. But God keeps and protects His people. And friends, the reality is this. If you look around the world now and you look at these great names of people who call themselves to be prophets and you assess their life against God's standards, tragically, 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 too many of them fall short. We hear of adultery. We hear of sexual impropriety. We hear of cases where people are using their prophetic mandate to get sexual favors. We hear of money being stolen and immoral ways. And I'm not for a minute saying that everyone is like that. What I am saying is one of the benchmarks that we have been given to be able to check out whether someone is real or fake is their life. How has their life been lived? And it's exactly the same for preachers and elders within the church. One of the benchmarks is to look at their life. How are they living? How is their life living? Are they right? And it's no less, if not more so, for people who proclaim this prophetic role. And so again, our chorus is, despite whether prophecy as a spiritual gift continues or doesn't, to be a prophet and living an immoral life is the hallmark of a false prophet. If someone's life is adulterous, secretive, if there is greed, if there is, if, if there is all these things that are there, if there's immorality, then we can say we don't need to fear this person. We mustn't listen to them. By their fruit you will know them. And we should thank God that we have all that we need in his word. And fourthly, prophets will get their predictions right. Prophets will get their predictions right. In Deuteronomy 18, there's a passage that explains prophecy. Uh, and, and Moses answers the rhetorical question in verse 21. So Deuteronomy 18, verse 21, this is the question. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? This is our question, isn't it? It's what we're trying to find out. We want to know if the Lord is speaking through this person. How will we know? So they were told by God, through Moses the prophet, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. This is God's word. This is God's standard. And God is telling us, as those 
Israelites were asking that question in their heart and God saw into their heart and said, now, how may we know that the words that the Lord has not spoken? If someone says, thus says the Lord, this is going to happen and it doesn't happen, then we know that the Lord did not say that. And it's totally logic, isn't it? It makes absolutely sense. If God is truly speaking through the prophet, God who knows everything, he will get it right. Does God make mistakes? Does God make things up? Does God not know that? God knows it. God foreordained it. God foreplanned it. God is in control of it. Nothing is outside of his control. And so to think that someone can get a word from God and proclaim a prophecy and it be wrong is just ridiculous. Because what does that say about God? Someone's got to be lying here, haven't they? Hmm. Is it God lying? Or is it the false prophet? Or the so-called prophet? Isaiah 40 and 24 starts with the phrase, Thus says the Lord. The Lord is speaking here in Isaiah 44 and verse 24. And, and, and the prophecy goes on. And in verse 26, it is, he says, talking of the Lord. This is the Lord. The Lord confirms the words of his servants and fulfills the counsel of his messengers. How do we know that Isaiah was a servant of the Lord? Because when we look at the cross and we see Christ on the cross, we see a Savior who is despised and rejected. When we see a Savior who has been flogged, whose wounds are open, we see the very person that Isaiah was prophesying about. And we know the prophet was true because he said it then, and it came about then, and we know that it's right. And it's because the Lord confirms the word of his servant. There was Joel 300, 400 years before saying that the Holy Spirit would come and they would prophesy and it would all be like this. And time went by and time went by. And then in Acts 2, on that day of Pentecost, it came true. And we see, we see that the Lord confirms the word of his servants and the counsel of his messengers. And Jeremiah 28 and verse 9, it says, For as for the prophet who prophesies peace, when the word of that prophet comes to pass, then it will be known that the Lord has truly sent the prophet. I was saying to the children, wasn't I, that there's over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament which point forward to Jesus and they came true in the New Testament. Not one of them is unfulfilled. Not one of them was inaccurate. All of them had detail that could never be known naturally 100, 200, 300, 1,000 years before. And they all came to be. That is true prophecy because the prophets... Word has been, been confirmed by the Lord. Agabus' prophecy that we read earlier in Acts 11.28 came true. He talked about this famine 
And then at the end of Acts 11, verse 28, open bracket, it said, this took place in the days of Claudius. And you can look up history books and you can find out about Claudius and you can find out about the famine that was going on and there were serious problems. And then Agabus again, that prophet in Acts 21 and verse 11, the latter part of it, he starts off by saying, thus says the Holy Spirit. And he's speaking about Paul. And this is how the Jews will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him to the hands of the Gentiles. And this came true. And Paul says about it in Acts 28 and verse 17. He's talking in Rome. He's there. He's been taken captive in Jerusalem. He's been sent across the world, half the world, or good part of the half the known world at the time. He's been shipwrecked. He's come there. He's there. He's speaking to the Jews. And he says, Brothers, although I've done nothing wrong against our people or the customs of our Father, yet I was delivered. Agabus said that he would be delivered. Yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem. The prophecy was the Jews at Jerusalem. It talks about the hands of the Gentiles. Paul more politically puts it, the hands of the Romans, but it's the same people. People, the Jews. Jerusalem, the area, delivered the message. The people who did it were the Gentiles or the Romans. The prophecy was complete and true. And that's what marks a true prophet. The President of the United States is President Biden. And there's a prophet on the island who said it was going to be Trump again. That's a false prophet. That is a false prophet. That was not God speaking. And we have to take this seriously. Because a false prophet is mocking the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And when you start entertaining false prophecy in your lives, no matter what it's from, it is dangerous. And we just should not fear these people. And we should not listen to them. And if you've got social media streams coming into you from a person who's proclaiming to be a prophet. And if they fail any four of those things, yes? If they fail to speak on behalf of God, if they fail to declare Christ as Lord and be committed to God's word, if they fail in the way that they are living, if their prophecies fail, you need to switch that social media feed off and get rid of them. They will do you no good. They will do you no good because that's not prophecy. The gift of prophecy, the gift of prophecy as we see it in the New Testament, the gift of the prophecy that we have in the Old Testament, the gift of prophecy that's been recorded for us in God's Word is absolute, it's complete, it is God's Word. And these other charlatans are doing great damage. And on the day of judgment, they will have to answer for it. But also on the day of judgment, you and I are going to have to answer for all that we've listened to and all that we've imbibed 
And quite frankly, on social media, there's a whole heap of junk that we should get rid of. Because it's not the spectacle that counts. It's not the miraculous that matters. It's not the odd prediction that may or may not have come true that matters. What matters is, is this person truly saying, thus says the Lord. Because the gift, the spiritual gift that God was speaking to the Corinthians about through Paul's mouth was that and nothing else. And anything else is a fake, anything else is a sham, anything else is not a spiritual gift, anything else is not for the building up of the church and to God's glory. And friends, we need to run away from it as fast as we can because it is dangerous. And when we come across prophecy that meets these standards, like what we have in God's Word, we need to take a step back in awe and ask God to help us. We shouldn't fear the false. We must not listen to the false. But we can give thanks to God that we have his word that will help us to see through it. Amen. I just want to give you a, a moment or two to, to think about that, to ask the Lord to show you how this should be applied in your situation. And then I'll pray, and then we'll sing our closing hymn together. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we come before you now in awe of who you are. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you've given it to us. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that opens it up to us. We thank you for that gift of prophecy that was seen so clearly in the Old and the New Testament. And we praise you for it. Oh Lord God, forgive us for the times that we've been seduced by the spectacle, by the outlandish, by the miraculous that's been done, allegedly in your name, but not. Forgive us, O Lord God, we pray. And help us and protect us from anything that is false, O Lord God. Keep us from these false prophets that are after their own gain and, and the devil who wants to destroy us and draw us away from you, O Lord God. Please protect us from their greed and their exploitation. May we be so in tune with your word May we be so in tune with the Holy Spirit that we are protected from these things. And may we grow in your grace. And may we grow in the understanding of these spiritual gifts. And may you pour out these gifts upon our church here now. So that maybe for the benefit of the church and the building up of the saints and to the honor and the glory of your great and holy name. In Jesus' name we've prayed. Amen.